Welcome to the IPONS podcast, the collective voice representing residential property owners in Nova Scotia. I'm your host, Amanda Knight, and together we will discuss some of the challenges facing the residential housing industry, offer some insights, and more importantly, some practical solutions. Today, I am thrilled to have the opportunity to speak with the executive director at AHANS, Michael Cabalan. Michael brings a wealth of experience to this position, having previously served as a director within the Department of Municipal Affairs and Housing, where he was responsible for designing and delivering some of the most recent innovative programs released by the provincial government, including the Land for Housing Initiative and the Affordable Housing Development Program. Additionally, he has held roles as a director with Develop Nova Scotia and was also a manager with Innovacorp. With a remarkable track record spanning more than 12 years in the private sector housing industry, Michael has been exposed to a variety of the complexities facing the housing crisis. A lifelong advocate for practical changes to the Residential Tenancies Act, as well as solutions for affordable housing and homelessness, Michael is an ideal fit for his role at AHANS. I am excited to hear his perspective and potential solutions. Hey, Michael, great to see you. You as well, Amanda. How is your day going today? It's going great. It's been fantastic weather. Oh, phenomenal for October. Yeah, no kidding. Thank goodness. Okay, so the topic today, how the private sector is part of the solution with not-for-profits and the public. Um, So why don't we first start, I guess, with you telling uh, us a little bit about AHANS. Sure. So AHANS is the Affordable Housing Association of Nova Scotia. Um, So first and foremost, we are builders buyers, uh, converters, developers of affordable housing. So we've got a growing portfolio of uh, mixed market, some of it very deeply affordable, some of it kind of what we call permanent supportive housing, which is, you know, it's more than just the housing. There's programming in place to support the individual. And some of it will eventually be near average market rent, not uh, attainable market rent. So it's kind of a mixed portfolio of affordable housing that we're kind of building to build a presence of forever affordable housing in our community. We're also the community entity for a program called Reaching Home, which is really, it's the federal government's program. It's a multi-billion dollar program. We don't see the billions, but we get, (laughs) you know, a little shy of $8 million in funding um, annually between the two streams we fund. And we kind of disperse that out to other organizations aimed at really responding to and trying to prevent and reduce homelessness in our communities that right across Nova Scotia and then particularly in the uh, Halifax region. Oh, fantastic. So how long has that program um, been around just recently? In this iteration started in 2018. It was a five-year agreement, which if you do your math right, it's coming to an end very soon. Um, all indications are uh, the program will renew. Um, so it's the homelessness component of the national housing strategy. So where many of, you know, many folks in the building community understand what the national housing strategy means around supply and around kind of units, mm-hmm. reaching home is around homelessness. But there are predecessor programs to reaching home that AHANS also administered are called HPS, Homelessness Prevention Strategy. So it gets rebranded but it's existed uh, for, for many years. I think it's at its highest level of funding ever, which mm-hmm. is great. And, and you know, rightly so, when you look at the quantum of the problem, still more, I think, is necessary on that program. Um, but we're certainly grateful for the federal government's contribution in our community on that. Absolutely. Um, now, you had said uh, with regards to setting rents that you look at rents at sort of an average and attainable. Was that your choice of words? Yeah, so we call attainable rent what most landlords would call market rent or 
Or okay. when they put their ad on Kijiji, how much can they charge before people stop responding? <laughs> <laughs> um, we we use CMHC's um, average market or median market rent as the highest rent we would charge, okay. and, and we typically would charge less than that. So even our brand new, you know, fully fully net zero units with all utilities included would be lower than than that average or median market rent in the community. Okay, fantastic. And then you're obviously targeting um, a certain uh, part of the demographic with regards to, or certain part of the population with regards to those, yes. those rents. So folks at risk of homelessness is first and foremost, they get the most affordable units we can offer. As rents go up, um, we still kind of have a have a lens we apply to if they, if they have a, a history of homelessness, but are stable, because if you've been homeless, you are many times more likely to return to homelessness. Okay. Um, if you're a new Canadian family and having a hard time finding housing, um, we prioritize some of our units for you. Um, and then again, just based on income or other family stats, if we're next to a school, we'll talk to that school and say, hey, we've got a four bedroom coming up. Do you have a family that's, you know, that needs affordable housing nearby? Um, but I would like to say to the listeners, we don't have enough, right? So we hear, when we get a unit, we hear from so many people. And mm-hmm. so the need is definitely there. And, and that's kind of what we're continuing to work on. And that's the third thing that AHANS does is we advocate. So because we run the homelessness prevention program, we get a lot of data around that. Because we're builders of affordable housing and using the programs that currently exist, mm-hmm. we're able to kind of marry all that together and go and talk intelligently to government and to other stakeholders and, and kind of talk about the problem and the solutions required. Okay. So it sounds like because you're a builder, because you're a not-for-profit, because you've got access to different funding streams provincially and federally, I assume. Yeah, and municipally as and well. And municipally, um, that you would have a really great and broad sense of the state of housing, what is needed in certain areas as well. Yeah. And it's also opportunity focused, but what we build is based, you know, first and foremost, uh, province-wide level, we have a great understanding as to kind of what's working, what's needed. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as a builder, just like any other builder, where's the land available? Where's a site available? Um, and, you know, we don't have deep pockets. In fact, we don't have a ton of equity at all. So we're, we're working with government land programs. We're working with, you know, developers who may be willing to think differently mm-hmm. um, and partner with us. Those are the kinds of opportunities that come our way. It's not about uh, dollars and cents. It's about what makes sense. So can you speak a little bit more to partnering with some of the developers? Because that was one of our how not-for-profits work with the private sector. Yeah, it's, it's an emerging trend. And, and in Nova Scotia, it hasn't really materialized to date um, okay. in, in a kind of a scalable or repeatable way. And, and really, I think it's, you know, we... We focus so much on what government can do, and 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 the the private sector, not to say has has gotten away without getting involved, but have been doing their part in other ways, and in, in adding supply. I mean, we have more rental housing under construction per capita, and, and still under ownership in Nova Scotia than anywhere else. And so, you know, the private sector has been doing its part from a supply side, mm-hmm. um, but we haven't seen the incentives or the encouragement for partnership uh, so far in in our community. But it can look a number of different ways. So, an example, a great example on a new construction would be if you're a builder and yep. you're looking at building a building um, and maybe you're, you know, the new, recent news about the HST might have changed that. But if you previously were waiting to build, yep. come talk to a nonprofit because we have different incentives, different opportunities that we could potentially pay you to build your building and then turn it over to us in the end. So you could build a, a more modest building. Yeah, We could get the financing in place. Uh, we could do a fixed price contract or a variable price contract. And depending on the programs available, mm-hmm. you know, you could, you could still build your building yep. uh, and you could, 
have a customer for it, so to speak. Okay. Now, that doesn't work for everyone. Lots of people want to build and hold. Mm-hmm. So the, the other kind of more novel way that partnership has existed with is I've got a few units. I want to do something different. Can you support a tenant who who I typically wouldn't rent to and provide those wraparound services? So the nonprofit sector is really, really good at working with individuals who otherwise may not uh, fit in well with uh, with the general tenancy. There's a number of organizations that, you know, if, if we could partner with directly or find people within our network to, to partner with the landlord. So uh, if you've got a, a unit that's that, you know, is either a more modest rent mm-hmm. um, or just you want to do something socially responsible and, and, and get involved. That's kind of the traditional way of connecting is is give us a couple of units. We'll support your tenant. I know people have had bad experiences with that, but we know a lot of organizations that that would make that a positive experience with you as well. So then if we go down that path, we've got existing units um, that would fall under the the parameters and, and I guess rent amounts that you would be looking at to house tenants. Let's jump into maybe some of the rural areas or some of the smaller landlords, because I know that has been one area. Uh, I've, I've talked to a number of people who are saying, well, geez, we're below market. We're below affordable housing rents right now. Whether they're there because of the rent cap or they were there because of a, a variety of other issues, is there any way that you can work with existing and sort of on the smaller scale? Yes and no. I think okay. the, the real struggle is there's not enough housing. So yes. how do I incentivize a landlord who to, to work with us or to work with our community when you've got choice? I think historically, landlords worked with the nonprofit sector when they didn't have choice. They had a unit, they were having a hard time renting that unit. And so they'd say, you know what, I'll work with I'll work with a shelter organization or a woman serving organization, and they'll bring me a tenant. Hey, at least I get my rent. Mm -hmm. That's totally flipped. It's now our organizations knocking on doors, just begging for 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 the private sector to take our tenants. Um, so in in rural Nova Scotia, that is even more common. There's less development. There's less new supply. There's mm-hmm. less availability. And how do you partner? Get connected. Get connected to the there's we, there's nonprofits in almost every community in this province. Mm-hmm. Really, my advice is kind of reach out to your local non for profits because what's going to work in Yarmouth is going to be different than in Shelburne or in Cumberland or in Cape Breton. Become one of IPON's valued corporate sponsors. Sponsorship with IPONS has many benefits, including exposure, visibility, and year-round marketing activities at our events. With IPON's virtual and in-person events happening frequently and a growing membership with over 45,000 units under management, this is a great opportunity to have your products and services showcased. For more information, visit our website at ipons.ca forward slash sponsorship. So let's look at how the public housing plays a role or works with you and the private sector. Can you bring some some light to that? Sure. So the public housing or the social housing or you know government owned housing, it's mm-hmm. very different than not for profit housing in 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 a number of different ways. One, it loses a ton of money. It's a it's a it's a money sucker in the provincial budget, which is why up until recently mm-hmm. we haven't seen government invest in that kind of housing. It's would you as a private landlord invest in housing that loses money. So our government has that same hesitancy to do so. Um, It's the largest provider and will always and continue to be the largest provider of deeply affordable housing in our community, somewhere around 12,000 units, depending on what you count in that bundle. Okay, Um, That's an important stock to kind of capture individuals who will likely have low income for a long time, Mm -hmm. right? That that it's it's the big net. Um, How that's different from not-for-profit housing is, as I talked about at the top, we want mixed... Portfolio. We want to charge a variety of rents so that the higher rents subsidize the lower rents. 
So when you as the taxpayer, really, through your government, are investing in not-for-profit and affordable housing, you're only doing that once. We're not going to come back every year for you to cover our operating loss. So the unique, or the big difference is it's a, it's a one and done, as opposed to an ongoing responsibility and an ongoing cash flow for government and for the taxpayer on the other end. That's why we feel nonprofit housing is so uh, so unique and, and, and such an important part to the ecosystem. Great. But yeah, the, the public housing is also the other challenge, is it's all rent gear to income. So you've got some developments there, several hundred units, and they're, everybody there is paying a portion of their income. Everybody there has to be below a certain income threshold. Mm-hmm. The outcomes for people to get out of that situation when everyone around you is in the same situation are very, I'm not saying it's nothing, yeah. but it's it's very difficult. When you create these mixed communities, like I talked about earlier, people have a tendency to reach for what they see around them. So you might have a, have a doctor living in a townhouse next door to a family paying you know, very low rent. The children of that family paying very low rent can see the doctor, aspire to be the doctor, know what their life is like. And, 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 and you know, that sounds a bit, you know, uh, like, like a Hallmark movie, but it really, the, the, the data shows when you create mixed communities, the outcomes for everyone in that community end up better. Absolutely. And I think that's key. And that term has come up on a number of our podcasts is community, because I also look and, and say, if you've got a senior living there and a younger couple, maybe the senior needs help shoveling or getting out to their car. And I've heard lots of stories with that, that every time there's a snowfall, you know, the little old lady comes out to her car and it's always brushed off because somebody else in that building is younger, is able, and and it is a nice, it's a nice community. And I guess that, uh, because that sort of reinforces a point that I have now changed my perspective when looking at not-for-profit. You really are looking at making a profit to cover future expenses. Is it, would you consider not-for-profit similar to private, develop private ownership? Well, I think private ownership, you're, it's an investment. I mean, yeah. we're talking to the Investment Property Owners Association today. So, um, we don't look at it as a financial investment, but it is a social investment. So mm-hmm. our, our profit is in the affordability we can continue to provide to our tenants and to the broader community as a whole. Mm-hmm. So if we can house these people and they're not living homeless. Mm-hmm. That helps everybody, right? That that helps our society. And that's kind of our our, our general focus. But there's kind of three key things we take into account in, in, in our ownership and what we manage. One is good governance. Mm-hmm. So our board, are strong mm-hmm. uh, operators. We've got people who have experience in national REITs. We have people who have experience as builders and landlords. We have architects, lawyers, um, planners, all those types of people are on our board. Yep. Um, the, the second is professional property management. So we, we have staff that are really good at what they do and continue to train. And, and they're using the same tools that the private sector are. Instead of profit, we pay into what we call a capital reserve. And that's the other, that's the third component to kind of good non-for-profit housing. So everybody's rent in the buildings that are working, and it's <laughs> we're still trying to get some of them there, it takes time to stabilize, sure. are paying a portion of their rent into the capital reserve. So we we are able to then kind of forecast how much we're going to have paid in over time and mm-hmm. start to determine our rate. We'll have enough for a roof in year five. We'll have enough for um, the windows in, in year eight. And and that money is there. And of course, it's also there for a rainy day. If you know the, the boiler room freezes some random day in the winter, we'll have funds that we can depend on. Again, the whole intent is government helps us pay for it once yep. and then never has to come back again. 
Well, and that's, uh, as you were describing who is on your board, I think that's key too, because you do have developers and you do have people who are running properties and managing properties. And I know from my perspective, I can sit here as the little guy who has six units and go, well, I understand everything about this. But then if I were to be put in, you know, one of the big developer shoes, there's a lot of things there that I don't understand. So with having that diverse board, you can be proactive and say, we are going to have a roof down the road. We do need money set aside for this. And that's an interesting comparison with the co-ops because it's the concerns of a tenant board are legit. You eat or you have your rent go up, get it. But then what does happen when the roof blows off or something needs to be maintained? And I think, yeah, it's it's the same conversation between the REITs, the large for-profit landlords that are REITs that are kind of focused on dividend and investor return, but also focused on the portfolio and the value of that portfolio mm-hmm. versus the the smaller folks. And it's, it is a real, you know, in this market where your costs have gone up, your interest rates have gone up mm-hmm. and, and your tenant arrears have probably gone up as well. You're making those same decisions and, and you're relying on that source of income. So do you fix the roof as That's a small right. landlord? Do you change that tap or do you let it drip for a while? So, you know, and there's lots of small landlords who, who get reputations. I don't like to use the word and I won't today, but get reputations as a certain type of landlord. <laughs> and, and it's not because I hope, well, not all of them. I hope it's because they can't, they, they choose not to afford it. It's that they're, they're living, they need to live off of their, their housing. So the same advice I give about nonprofit housing really could apply to small landlords and how, how you, how do you set yourself up to, to be prepared for the future? And, you know, a friend of mine, when I first got into my own few units that I own, mm-hmm. um, said, be prepared to spend $5,000 every day because you never know what's going to break. And if you don't have that money, don't get in the business. Yep. Yep. So it's the same for us and it's the same for others. So so then I guess um, back to uh, how you have Ahan set up with your board and those those three pillars, if you will. Is that how all not-for-profit is or is this unique to your organization? I would hope all are heading in that direction. Okay. Um, but I, I, would, I would say not, all, not every building of ours is there yet. Yeah. So I would suspect not every operator is there yet. So solution on coming up with more supply. I mean, that really seems to be the the biggest issue. And I know it's impacted by a variety of things, both getting people to work on it, money, land, numerous things. What's what's your ideal vision to increase supply and what are your timelines? I'll put you on the spot. So I think what we've built is not what, what we should be continue to build. And I think that's a, a huge shift in our society, mm-hmm. but that's the macro conversation we need to have. The, the detached home with a double car garage, um, you know, in suburbia with no sidewalks <laughs> is likely a dream that ends at my generation. Mm-hmm. If, we're go- if we're going to return to a place where everybody can own their home. So what the home you're going to own looks like, I think, is very different. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a fundamental shift in, in kind of planning. It's a fundamental shift in financing because the, you know, it, it's, a, it is a shift in just lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, a lot of people throw Vienna up as, oh, the perfect example for, for affordable housing. I'm not sure that works here because yeah. we've, you know, that, that works in a city that's already there. That's very dense. That's very well serviced, but we don't have the transit. We don't, we don't have the services for Vienna to pop up, you know, in Shelburne. Exactly. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> um, I think that, but, but we do have the ability to say in Shelburne, we're going to build denser developments. We're 
We're going to build smaller units. We're going to ensure that there's an opportunity for retail services to be nearby. So you can, you can walk to the bakery, you can walk to the grocery store, you can walk to work. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden that changes your lifestyle and it changes the need for your housing, right? The reason why we have the detached homes is because we have the supermarkets and we have the Dartmouth crossings that we have to go to, to get all, all the things we need. Um, and we don't have the local bakery you could walk to. So I think first and foremost, that high level piece of what we build and what we allow to be built. And we're seeing that, you know, in Halifax, they're trying to get that accelerator money from the feds. And uh, Minister Fraser wrote to, to council and says, you need to upzone essentially four units. And so as of right, if you've got the lot coverage, you should be able to build for a unit. And it's not because he's trying to, you know, incentivize developers. He's try it's about creating those complete communities. The more people you have in a denser area, the the better service your community can be and the more affordable the housing will become in a time. Um, other things that can be due, and you know, I, I think your the last podcast talked about how much this is another point, how much of housing construction cost is tax yeah. or is fees, which is really just another tax. Mm -hmm. And I think Government's starting to talk about the waiving of the HST is huge. And, you know, I've talked to a number of people in the last couple of weeks who said, yeah, I'm, I'm pulling my permits. I wasn't going to, I'm going to pull my permits. And wow. so that will have an impact. And, you know, two months ago, we were saying, we were seeing cranes in Nova Scotia come down and go to the storage yard. Mm -hmm. um, those cranes are out of the storage yard again, this quickly after those decisions were made, right? Folks are, are making that decision. Um, the financing piece is another major component. So, you know, we all have to take out uh, 20 year, 30 year mortgages and they mm -hmm. renew every five years and the interest rate, we're at the mercy of the interest rates. And, and many of us who own housing privately are waiting for that renewal and waiting mm -hmm. for what that payment looks like or how much longer my payoff date will be, yep. whether it's on my own home or my rental housing. We in the nonprofit sector are are able to access 50-year mortgages at a fixed interest rate and a fixed payment. That's predictability for us, and that's a great incentive for us. I'd like to see that type of incentive offered to the private sector as well to create more uh, more supply. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of those incentives, though, maybe we talk to the private sector about partnering with the nonprofit sector on how we can you can get our incentives if we do something together. If you house some of the folks we support. No, that's great. That and very insightful. And I think uh, I know on the homelessness. Well, like you say, the people who are still going to work every day and, and coming home stressed. Um, just over the past couple of weeks, I've had a couple of conversations with rental housing providers who have people who have very, very low rents, but their mortgages are coming due and their heating costs have gone up exponentially. And they're sitting there saying, Amanda, my option is sell because I can't afford to maintain it. And I know what that's going to mean for these people. And I don't want to, but there is no other option. How do we get the municipality, the provincial, the federal government to understand a lot of that and those complexities, how they play into things? Yeah, I mean, we we know what needs to be done for those folks, right? We know they need they need cash. They need a rent supplement. They need we we see them in our system in the in the homelessness support system every day. Mm -hmm. They're bringing themselves forward, saying, "I can't pay my rent. I've got an eviction notice." Uh, we we try our best in our system to help them. We give them cash, or we give them food, or we give them vouchers or gift cards or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. But it's just it's not enough, and it's not sustainable. And I think there's a fear in government to give money to folks who need it if it's going to a landlord, not recognizing that the landlord, like you say, is just mm -hmm. passing those costs off to to the tenant that they're experiencing, right? Mm -hmm. What's the solution? It's, you know, uh, Andrew Yang in the US talked about this last election cycle is a universal basic income or, uh, you know, we talk about social assistance is, hasn't gone up in decades. Mm -hmm. and And is that okay? 
but no one cares. No one says anything about it. We're just happy to allow people to to do do less mm-hmm. with less and give. You know, every year the inflation goes up. They're not getting any more. Yeah, and that's a huge component of our population and a huge component of people that probably many many landlords are renting to mm-hmm. who have less to get by with every day. Yep, and I know a lot of landlords will say, "That's not my problem. I'm the private landlord." Mm-hmm. But it kind of is. You own housing. You you have the scarce resource. And so I think our conversation between our government and us around how do we create the incentives for landlords to keep renting at those low rents, or let's give those tenants what they need to pay the rents that are that, that are necessary to keep the housing sustainable. Thank you very much for your time today, Michael. This has been great. Is there anything else you would like to add to wrap up the conversation? With this problem around the housing crisis, it, there's many different ways to slice it. There's many different days, different ways to look at this. And I think we all need to own our share of the solution. And, and you know, we've seen uh, the premier and council point fingers at each other most recently. Mm-hmm. We've seen the the, the federal minister or the, and the prime minister say, oh, well, housing is a provincial responsibility. And this idea of passing the buck mm-hmm. isn't going to work, right? I think the same way that many private landlords will say, oh, it's not my job. I'm, I'm just running my little business. Well, unfortunately, we're all part of the system. What we all do impacts the other. And so we all need to own our share of the solution. That's going to look very different. So kind of my call to arms for the listeners is, you know, take some introspective time and figure out what your share of the solution is going to be. If you're sitting on a development site, build it. If you're thinking about rental increases, do you really need to do that? Um, if you've got a building that uh, is affordable and you're looking to sell, call me. Maybe I'll buy it. Uh, <laughs> so that's kind of the, the thought though, right? Like there's yep. there's lots everyone can do to kind of resolve the, resolve the crisis, but it's going to take everyone. That's great. Thank you so much. Thanks. Have a great rest of the day. You too. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the iPons podcast. We hope you found the discussion insightful and engaging. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Interested in learning more? Head to our website, ipons.ca, to sign up for our weekly newsletter, Multi-Res News, and follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn, where we are consistently sharing news that affects rental housing providers in Nova Scotia. Until next time.